Good morning and welcome to this local production of Divine Mercy Radio. I am your host, Bill Gent, and we call our program Treasures of Faith. And I want to thank you for joining us on this beautiful but cool day on the Space and Treasure Coast. And I am joined by uh, Father Ben Berinti, and we're continuing our series on Advent by looking at uh, the various questions that we discover in Luke chapter 1. But before I get to Father Ben... I just want to let our listeners know that uh, the guest that I had on this program yesterday, Father Mike Jolie, uh, if you did not uh, get a good sense of the music that he has produced in his CDs, just want you to know that you can go to our podcast, DivineMercyRadio.com, click on Podcasts, Treasures of Faith, and you'll find uh, Father Mike's uh, uh, program there. And, of course, we've improved the sound on that music, and we really want you to have an opportunity to appreciate uh, the beautiful music that Father Mike Jolie has created. For some of you, uh, he's a blind priest from uh, Virginia, and he's currently doing an Advent mission at St. John the Evangelist Parish up in Vieira. And so you're certainly welcome. The, uh, the mission will conclude this evening, but you have an opportunity to hear Father Mike. That's at 7 p.m. at St. John the Evangelist Church in Vieira. Well, Father Ben, thanks again for joining me on Treasures of Faith. And uh, certainly we are very blessed by having you each Tuesday during Advent as we look at the Gospel of Luke and these very interesting questions that are posed by the evangelist. It's great to be here again, Bill, and uh, to be with our listeners and share this Advent journey. Um, As we mentioned, the very uh, first week we were together, uh, you know, the church gives us this beautiful season of Advent. Um, But in many ways, we, you know, we do the wreath thing, we do the purple, and then we kind of move on with our business. So I think one of the things we've been trying to do in our time together these Tuesday mornings is just really break the season open even more. even the fact that St. John uh, the Evangelist is having an Advent mission, even that's kind of a rare you know, thing. Uh, when I was in the mission business a number of years ago uh, at San Pedro, working at the San Pedro Center here in the Diocese of Orlando, is you always had a crush of people asking for Lenten missions. And it's like, well, there's only basically about four <laughs> weeks to give that's them. That's right. So you're only available four times. And, and, and I'd say, you know, already booked for this year. You, you might have to work another year or two out. And, and so then I suggested to people, it's like, you know, I love the Advent season myself. I said, have you ever thought about an Advent mission? There's so much uh, wonderful, beautiful things to bring about there. So I'm glad people like St. John's, uh, St. John the Evangelist and others have, you know, have gotten into that and, and providing that opportunity. So Lent's obviously a great time, but but Advent's a beautiful time. And, uh, and that's what I think we've been emphasizing, Father Ben, is just the beauty of this season as a liturgical season. It's just not a word found in, you know, the catechism or something. Uh, and the opportunity for us to really enter in uh, to this time of preparation. But Uh, What you've been able to do over the last couple of weeks, I'm going to ask you to give us a brief look back. But what I have found uh, so fascinating is these very significant individuals. And you and I have talked about how in Luke's gospel, every character you find in the gospel is significant to Luke. 
And we often overlook Zechariah. Certainly, we're going to look at Elizabeth today, and she's certainly overlooked. But the whole idea of how Luke is able to kind of weave into his gospel these beautiful stories, but again, how we can look at their questions and really begin to identify with them as Catholic Christians. Yeah, I mean, all, I think all of the synoptic writers, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they all have a certain kind of way of br- bringing a lot of people into the story. So the, the stories are, are populated. Luke has a particularly keen ability to literally populate the narratives uh, mm-hmm. of his gospel, and he continues to do that even in the Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. So lots of people, because I think, again, Luke's overriding interest um, you know, is to provide, in a sense, many... Uh, doors through which his listeners can enter. And so there, as you were kind of alluding to, there is no character that appears anywhere, even if it's momentarily. Um, And sometimes the character is the crowd Mm -hmm. uh, who appears and is insignificant. Because for Luke, what he wants to do is allow you and I, the listeners, the hearers of this word of God, to find a place for ourselves in there. Mm-hmm. And um, as I think as we've mentioned you know, previously is so you take some of the classic stories of Luke and certainly the people we've been meeting, and even if they appear on the scene only momentarily, or we'll see today, you know, maybe Elizabeth gets uh, five lines, um, that, that doesn't make her any less significant. But it also, Luke is trying to say that in the whole fabric of God's salvific work, every thread counts. And that for the most part, people like you and me on our spiritual journeys, there's a place for us in the fabric mm-hmm. of God's work. Um, we, are, we probably aren't going to get the angelic visions, and we're, we might not have lots of uh, fireworks and smoke going up around us, but that makes, doesn't make us any less important. So Luke has an overall message, um, and we see that clearly in these infancy narratives, that every thread in the fabric counts, mm-hmm. and that's the opening for people like you and me to, hey, the Lord is, the Lord is calling me to something, uh, and I think that's what we'll see later on in the second half of the show when we sort of make the application of of uh, Elizabeth's uh, question. So, we have been, uh, you know, looking at these characters. So Luke presents uh, four particular uh, characters, if you will, in the beginning of this uh, his gospel in the first chapter. And by each of them posing a question, Luke wants his listeners to take that question on themselves. And so in week one, we did meet uh, Zechariah at the beginning. One of the things that we said about Zechariah, and I think the personal application we are trying to make about him, is so he gets this revelation, this great, wonderful, glad tidings news. He... um, His question is somewhat skeptical, sort of prove this to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then the Lord, uh, through Gabriel, he is mute until the birth of John the Baptist, the naming of John the Baptist at his time of birth. And we mentioned, I think, early on that we often think of that as a kind of a punishment. All right, you didn't believe, so you get punished. But Mm -hmm. in reality, Zechariah becomes Luke's model for what all of us are called to do in this preparatory journey toward the birth of Christ, and that is, we, we use the term in our first show of gestational silence. Mm-hmm. That Luke, is inv- uh, Luke invites us through Zechariah, we have to be quiet. We have to find some, some silent time to allow 
this birth to develop and to grow and to see what God is happening. And rather than busy ourselves with lots of words and activity, so Zechariah, Zechariah plays an important role in Luke's overall message leading up to Christmas, that probably the better thing we should be doing during this Advent season is, is kind of keeping quiet mm-hmm. <laughs> and just look, what is God brewing here? What is mm-hmm. God uh, tending in the dark soil uh, in each of us? So it's not an accident by any means that Zechariah starts the story. You know, you think to yourself, well, why not start with Mary's Annunciation or mm-hmm. or something? No, we start there because Luke wants to say a lot of people are going to be part of this birth of Christ. But one of the most important, I'll call it a posture, that it would be good for us to assume in these days. And there's still, you know, half of Advent is still left, so there's plenty right. of time for us to recoup the season sure. no matter where we are along the path. And And a great posture for the season is somehow that withdrawing mm-hmm. in some way and and allowing a little bit of silence in our own life. And, and it's very obvious, <laughs> Father, that he begins with a priest. So the assumption is that a priest is going to all be involved in something that God is going to do. And yet we see this individual, though he should have been perhaps, we would assume, better prepared to receive a message from God even he is saying, nah, I don't know about this. You know, there's a, a lack of faith or whatever. And then it kind of moves along to this very humble young girl. And then, of course, as we'll see today, then we have this older woman who happens to be the wife of this priest. I mean, it just sets up beautifully. Right. Again, many avenues. Uh, so so we heard that story about uh, Zechariah. And then uh, in our uh, second week, last Tuesday, we we move Mary then appears on this scene, quite the opposite uh, in stature, in presence, in age. I mean, so many different things contrasting who mm-hmm. she is with mm-hmm. the first person that we met on the scene. She has an enunciation, poses her question, but poses it uh, in a little bit different way. You know, both questions uh, start with how. Mm-hmm. You know, how does this happen? How does this happen to me? Um, how does uh, how is this all going to come about? Because I know not a man. Um, but Mary then opens up a much uh, quieter, humbler uh, presence of of God, and a much more uh, wondering mm-hmm. uh, way of posing her question. Okay, I, I'm I'm trying to trust, and we we talked about last week how some of it, some of that experience really is. Um, a difference in age. Mm-hmm. So you said earlier, you know, here's Zachariah, a priest, uh, well-schooled, we would think, in the mm-hmm. ways of God. Mm-hmm. Here's the young child who, not so schooled, maybe in the ways of God, but her youthful age brings a certain kind of wonderment to life. You know, life is still all out there. Mm-hmm. So much more given to curiosity and wonder. Uh, Zachariah, we learn early on, he and his wife, they're on the other end of the spectrum. You know, I've seen it all. I've experienced it all. Uh, nothing can surprise me uh, mm-hmm. anymore, and yet mm-hmm. uh, he gets a surprise. Mm-hmm. So there's Mary, you know, opening up um, her question, and we immediately, at the end of her annunciation, the angel leaves her, and Luke, as he likes to do, is the story just keeps rolling on <laughs> into the next individual. But at the very least, Father, you know, when you when you read Luke's gospel, I'm just looking at it through a modern lens for a moment. At least they respond. 
You know, I mean, and when you think about it in our present age, I sometimes wonder, I rarely go to a mall, but if I do, I went to pick up a gift for my wife that I ordered online and I'm kind of looking at people and I'm kind of asking myself, are any of these folks really open to what this season is really all about? They seem to have these very, you know, stressed looks as if they're out to accomplish a mission they're not really enjoying this. This is a task to be completed. And I was thinking in terms of what happened to Zechariah and Mary and Luke, and I understand with an angel, obviously, we're not all, not all having that experience, but at least they're responding. And I'm wondering, with everything that's out there, even the beauty of the Christmas decorations or whatever, God can still reach us. You know, through a variety of ways, he can be giving us the opportunity to ask a question. Lord, what is this going to mean to me this year? I, I mean, I, I think that's a, a tremendous uh, observation and, and a tremendously challenging uh, observation. Um, and and I, I think, you know, the issue that you raise is, and I think our conversation here, it's not like, okay, so let's uh, somehow wag the finger at right. all the people that aren't doing what they're supposed to doing because— we are sometimes caught up in the same uh, thing. Um, I even found myself, I was sharing with some parishioners that in the course of uh, decorating the, the, the parish house where I live with Father Peter at Immaculate Conception, um, you know, I was up on the ladder putting Christmas lights out and, and I, I, I was telling them, I said, you know, I swear that I have used probably about five different kinds of the clips that are supposed to keep <laughs> the lights attached to the... I don't know what roofs these are made for. I don't know if they're meant for thatched houses right, in Bali right. or every house I have ever tried to use a clip on. And I've used many different styles of these clips. None of them work. We can send men to the moon, but we can't come up with a clip. Well, exactly. That works, we can you know? reland a rocket <laughs> most right. of the time That's it, exactly. uh, over there at the Cape. And I can't. So as I'm up on the ladder and, and this is normally a joyful experience for me, I sure. love to put the decorations yeah. up, put the lights up and all that. But on this particular day, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> it was a cold Sunday afternoon. It started to drizzle, of course, while I'm up there. Of course. And as I'm putting the clips on, and string them along the clips are popping off <laughs> further down the line and so you know being attentive to the beauty of the season yes. Christ who is the light I mean all of that was going down the tubes during the lighting but I shared with them I said but you know as I caught myself getting more frustrated all right mm -hmm. this is a task to be done these lights are going up yes and and that's it and right. Darn it, I'm going to enjoy if these I gotta lights. i got to nail them in. That, you know, I'm going to have to nail them in there. And if I have to, we have to re-roof come the spring because I tried to put lights up, you know, so be it. Didn't want my maintenance man to know that. But, but as I caught myself, you know, this becoming a task mm. rather than something enjoyable, part of the spirit of the season, at least I was able to sort of redirect myself. And, you know, there I am, drizzle coming down, clips lost in the bushes somewhere. <laughs> it's like no wonder they sell them by boxes of 100 sure, because absolutely. you're going to lose 75 of them in the process of putting them up. Is I, I was able to say, okay, this is kind of crazy. This is crazy. This is not what this is about. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if all you're going to do is go through the motions here, why are you bothering to put lights right. up? And I, I think mm -hmm. so all of us, we, we can can get up, mm -hmm. caught up in the these are things to do. They're not even enjoyable. Let, let's get them over with. Um, and yet God wants to surprise us, too. And how even in the middle of our own frustrations, mm -hmm. the messages of Advent, if you really are listening to them and, you know, if you're worshiping on Sunday and 
and hearing these scripture readings, they are, I think I used the image in our very first time together, uh, Megan McKenna, Sister Megan McKenna in one of her writings said, Advent is like this barking guard dog. (laughs) (laughs) And that dog is going to keep barking until you and I wake up and pay attention. So, Mm. you know, the clips falling off, Mm. uh, the line for Santa Claus being too long at the mall. Mm -hmm. uh, You finally get up to the front and guess what? He's on his cookie break for the next half hour. Sure. (laughs) God can sometimes use these disruptions uh, to say, hey, okay, now is your time to enter into... um, you know, into this uh, time of Advent. So there's still plenty of it left for us. All is not lost. <laughs> so hopefully our conversation today about Elizabeth will give us another entree into, it, it, into the season. At least we still have all of these trappings because I, I was kind of thinking about how we could all become diehard Gnostics or something <laughs> and basically celebrate Christmas in our heads right. and not have the trappings, you know? Right, right exactly. I mean, <laughs> and, and, you know, and this is the other thing that's that's dangerous is... Uh, you know, certainly in our Catholic tradition, we've talked about this before, you know, we are a, a sacramental tradition. Therefore, we are a, it's a bodily tradition. Mm-hmm. So we have rites, we have rituals. The whole incarnation is the enfleshment of this right. faith. So we, we are, there. You know, there are other religions that are much more abstract and of the mind. Catholicism is not one of them. No. Christianity is not Thankfully one of them. Thankfully so. And so we could, you know, is the is the opposite is, okay, well, let's just get rid of all the trappings and let's have Christmas in our heads mm-hmm. or, and we sometimes will say this in the wrong sense of it, just in our hearts. No, it needs expression. This right. is an incredible right. thing that, that God is doing and it, it needs expression. <clears throat> and many of the means that are available to us, both within church as well as in the secular world around us, they can really be, Mm -hmm. they are means to give beauty and expression to the season, but we we kind of get all twisted up in them. And and, and then so even for some uh, worshipers, you know, Catholics on a Sunday morning, you know, I'm checking the box of pick up this at Target, you know, go to Fresh Market for that. Oh, and by the way, go to 730 Mass this morning Mm -hmm. because then I got to get on to Mm -hmm. other stuff. So we, we can, you know, get, and I think that was one of the things we talked about with Zacharias, no, here's the guy that's supposed to know this. He's right. the guy that's all caught up in the, the ritual of, of the faith, and he misses the boat. Yeah. So I, I will share with you that, you know, sometimes as a priest, I, I, I kind of look at Zachariah as, a, as a, a, a saintly model, if you will, for those of us who are clergy, mm-hmm. uh, to say that, hey, just because you're, you know, you're saying the masses and you're hearing the confessions and all that, there's an attentiveness that we as priests are called to do mm-hmm. that goes beyond just doing mm-hmm. our functions. In other words, we're up there, I'm up there doing the rituals of the season, but if I'm not careful, I can be lost mm-hmm. in the midst of those things and just assume that, well, I did three Advent Masses this weekend, so therefore I right. must be in the spirit of yeah. Advent. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. like everybody else. I also, as a priest, have to do my own work. You, I have to be You attentive. can become very task-oriented no, yourself, very much so. you know, and, and I, get into this idea as a priest to say, well, I just can't wait till this is over. Exactly, and I'm I'm fortunate to be in a parish of 800 people. I'm not in your parish of 4,000 people and the poor priest there running around with, sure. you know, 21 penance services in the face of 10 days. And uh, so, so... Mm. Um, I, you know, I have to be honest about my own faith journey and allow these scriptures, these questions that we're speaking about during our Advent series here. They have they're they're touching my heart, too, uh, because I can't be presumptive as Zachariah was. You know, how can I 
recapture some of that wonder that Mary uh, brought to the scene, and now Elizabeth, who we'll meet today. Yeah, what, you know, when we look at Elizabeth, I mean, there's only a very few verses in Luke chapter 1 uh, regarding her father, but, you know, they are significant because of this question. Exactly. Uh, let, let's just, uh, for a moment, just share those few little uh, passages from uh, Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 39. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God was spoken to her by the Lord. Hmm. So just a few lines about uh, Elizabeth and, and her interaction uh, with Mary, but there's a lot of richness in there. And one of the things that I would uh, caution us about this morning is, and certainly it's not not trying to push our Blessed Mother off to the side. She is an important player here. Absolutely. But, but part of the, the challenge is, and hopefully what we can do in our conversation today is, is I, I guess I would call it sort of recover Elizabeth mm. because she gets kind of sandwiched in there. You know, we call this event in one of the decades of the rosary the visitation. Mm -hmm. So immediately it's, it's Mary visiting Elizabeth. Right. Mary kind of gets the press. Mm -hmm. Is Mary the one who's driving the event? Oh, isn't it wonderful? Mary in her own pregnancy, she goes to help Elizabeth. Um, you know, the Magnificat will burst forth momentarily after we just finished in line uh, 45. Uh, Blessed are you amongst women. Here's the Hail Mary unfolding right before our eyes. And oh, by the way, there's a gal named Elizabeth who's <laughs> right. kind of in the middle of the mix. She's there. in the shadow. She's in the shadow. Yeah. There's, she's the means to the end of all these other glorious things. And there is some truth to that. But <clears throat> I think what we've seen Luke doing is, no, there's more to it than she's not a shadow figure here. She's mm. not... Uh, a means to an end. Uh, I mentioned to the uh, adult formation group this morning is, you know, there are certain characters in plays that, you know, they come out onto the stage, they utter one word, and then they scurry back away. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, we're done with them. Well, you can kind of think maybe is Elizabeth one of those people? But mm -hmm. no, you see what Luke does is he puts a question in her mouth mm -hmm. that is important, you know, for, for our journey. So as we, you know, as we meet Elizabeth here, um, I'd like in the moments that we have, let's let's give her some due. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's see how her rather brief appearance can, in fact, teach us, continue to teach us something about Advent, about our own uh, spiritual journey. So she appears there quickly, but significantly. Yeah. What's you know, and Father, what may be confusing is so what's her question? Because it it, it seems to be a little it can lend itself easily to perhaps be misunderstood i think so and, and i i think even just saying okay what what's the question there there clearly is one in here but because of what we already um i guess i would say how we already sort of paint the scene sort of almost you know pietistically in our mind 
you, you can miss the question because mm-hmm. we're, it's the scene is so dominated by baby leaping in womb, mm-hmm. hail full of grace, Lord mm-hmm. is with you, mm-hmm. oh, hail Mary, visitation. And, and we might actually miss uh, the question that comes to us. You know, the baby is leaping in my womb, blessed are you amongst women. Um, but as soon as I heard, you know, the baby is leaping in my womb. But the question of Elizabeth is, how does this happen to me? Mm that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Mm -hmm. And as we have seen in some of the other passages, um, when we look at original text here, that in most of the English translations, so this morning I I was reading from the New Revised Standard Version, um, if we look in our uh, New American Bible, but even in some of the others, there's a piece of the of the Greek language that's left out in the middle of uh, Elizabeth's question that is a really significant piece. Literally what Elizabeth is saying, the way her question comes out is, how is it that the mother of my Lord might come, and here's the word, even to me? And as we go on in our conversation, I think that's going to play a sig. So the question itself is potent enough. Mm -hmm. But when you add in and and Luke, you know, what we're doing here is we're and with these other characters, too, is uh, it's not just, oh, well, that is an interesting quirk, like working a crossword puzzle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, isn't that interesting quirk of New Testament Greek, which none of us really know unless we're studying it in school. Right. But but it is a significant uh, cast, a significant flavor to the question. So remember, the scene begins with her uh, cry of joy, cries mm-hmm. out uh, in the translation I read here with a loud voice. Again, actually in the Greek, the, the language that's used, it's like Elizabeth is crying with a megaphone in her hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is sort of over the top mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of mm-hmm. exclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what follows is this sort of self-reflective question that Elizabeth puts it. And why has this happened even to me mm-hmm. that the mother of my Lord should come to me. That's that's a very telling expression mm-hmm. on the part mm-hmm. of Elizabeth, even to me. So I think we'll see in a moment that it explores much more than just, uh, oh, that's an interesting quirk of New Testament Greek. It tells us something about Elizabeth's heart. I think it tells us something about the witness that Elizabeth wants to give us. And I think like the two people pre- uh, preceding her, uh, it gives a certain tone mm. to her and her journey. Mm-hmm. especially when we look at who was Elizabeth up to this point. What's her story? What, what's been Elizabeth's identity in her life? We, we remember, remember we met her with the story of Zechariah just at the very end. Right. And, and I, I like to kind of chuckle about the fact that, you know, Zechariah gets the revelation. He gets the angel. That's he gets right. all the smoke. Uh, he gets the mutinous along with it. But right. he gets all of this. But Elizabeth's the one that's going to be carrying the baby. That's right. She's the one that's going to do all the heavy lifting, <laughs> literally, here. But she's just kind of a little addendum at the, oh, and by the way, uh, Elizabeth mm. is, you know. And even when we meet her at the beginning uh, through Mary, it's like, oh, and, you know, your relative Elizabeth is already in your sixth month. But now she gets to step into the limelight for a moment and we get to really hear more about her. And then next week, we will sort of visit her, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the, the community all together. And, and Elizabeth will make one last sort of mm-hmm. significant statement, significant appearance. But for today, I think her question, how is it that the Lord comes even to someone like me, is made even more telling because remember where Elizabeth has come from. 
I think we can all best identify perhaps with Elizabeth because in the scene, you've got the Blessed Mother, you've got the Son of God in her womb, you've got John the Baptist, you know, in Elizabeth's womb, and here's just Elizabeth, you right. know? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, and, and, and Father, I don't know if you would agree, but usually Luke's gospel is a great gospel to reflect on for Lectio uh, Divina because we can kind of enter into these uh, various characters. But I think Elizabeth is absolutely, in Luke chapter 1, is one that we could all really identify with. Why right, would the Lord want to have anything to do with me? Exactly. There's so much. I mean, just in those couple of lines, as you just point out, there's so much happening in that scene that sort of, uh, overpowers what we might say in our own language is, well, okay, maybe I do see the Lord doing a little something in my life, but oh my gosh, it can't compare to mm-hmm. this person or that person or mm-hmm. who's going through this, whether it's something of great joy or, or a moment of great suffering. And then we tend, we, you can easily minimize mm-hmm. Elizabeth's encounter with God. And she's encountering God in numerous ways. She's encountering in the mother of her Lord in front of her, the presence of the soon-to-be incarnated Son of God. The you know I always like you know John the Baptist is leaping in her womb, but it's also a sign of what John the Baptist is going to be like in his life too. Yes. This guy is an overachiever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got a lot of emotion, and already no in the womb, the emotion that's going to burst forth on the Jordan River is already uh, sort of exploding there. Um, so um, yeah, we can easily sort of push her off. Well, welcome back to Treasures of Faith, and I'm blessed to be joined by Father Ben Berinti. He's the pastor of Immaculate Conception uh, Parish in Melbourne Beach. And uh, each Tuesday, uh, he's been joining us during this season of Advent. And we're exploring the season with Luke by looking at uh, the four questions uh, that we find in Luke chapter 1. And we're really focusing on Elizabeth and her question this week. Father, just give us a little more background. We, we, we've sort of suggested, uh, you know, what really surrounds her question, but give us a little more background on Elizabeth. Well, again, like, so, you know, so many things about the Word of God, uh, especially in the New Testament, um, and exploring really any of the Gospels, is, I mean, we're first called to take the narratives as they appear to us. So, you know, before we run to Bible commentaries and re- reflections and things like that, we have to let let the Word speak to us as it comes to us. And then I think as we, you know, grow in our uh, curiosity about the Scriptures, you know, that's when we start looking at commentaries. Uh, you know, going to Bible studies like you have, where you can, okay, let's hear the language. What what what's the what are the times like and the settings? And so, I think as part of Elizabeth's story, we do get a a glimpse of of who she has been in her life. Okay, she's wife of Zechariah. We heard about his story. Um, but then we hear this other characteristic about her, and I think um, we, we can, again, pass over this easily. But to know what this meant in Elizabeth's and Mary's time makes Elizabeth's story and what God is doing with her even more powerful. And the one adjective, if you will, that is applied to Elizabeth is the barren one. Mm. And that's a strong word. It's very stark. It's a a very stark word. And it is a specific word that is chosen. 
And she has company in the Hebrew scriptures. There was a gal mm -hmm. some of us might remember by the name of Sarah one time. Mm -hmm. And then there is a gal by the name of Hannah, Hannah. who is actually Mary's Magnificat is the prayer of Hannah recast mm -hmm. yep. uh, in Luke's gospel. So she's she's part of a history of women. But that that specific word barren is a potent one. So it's not like you come to somebody who you meet in life and you say, uh, oh, uh, do you have any children? If you had any? No, my husband and I never had any children. And you say to them, oh, so you and your husband never, you were childless, you didn't have any children. Oh, yeah, we always wanted to, but weren't able to, and so forth. But to come to somebody and say, realize they have no children, no grand, oh, so you were barren? <laughs> oh, my goodness, I can't believe you. Oh, how unfortunate to be barren. You probably hear from the ACLU today, perhaps. Well, exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, and there was no no groups like that protecting anybody in Elizabeth's no, day. not in that day. You know, in her day, this was the curse of curses. Yes. It yeah. was a curse that, you know, people mm. didn't wag the finger at the man. Mm. They wagged the finger yeah. at the women, and the tongues were wagging. And so mm -hmm. the gossip, the in our word we would use today, the shame mm -hmm. that a person like Elizabeth bore mm was a tremendous cross burden in her life. And so as she comes to this whole experience, you know, this business about everything that we know about barrenness, and, and again, it's, it's real in her life. Mm -hmm. There are no children. Mm -hmm. But then there's all this other uh, symbolic barrenness. And what, what was her relationship with God like in her life? Mm -hmm. What would have been the content of her prayer? You know, not only asking God, for a child because to be this way in her society was you might as well just shrivel up and mm -hmm. go off in, into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so Elizabeth comes to this encounter with Mary, with God, with the birth of uh, impending birth of John the Baptist, and yet she comes as a woman who is wonderfully amazed, humble. How is it that this even happens to somebody like me? Mm. Not somebody like me who has mm. never been able to have a child, mm -hmm. but somebody like me who's been the victim of of gossip and terrible talking. And, you know, can you just imagine here's the wife of a priest? Right. Can you easily? That's probably her whole identity, really. That's her in a identity. Sense. And can you imagine people in there, as sometimes we know human beings can be with their gossip? Oh, your husband's a priest, and he couldn't even pray you right. out of this situation. Mm. So I wonder how holy is mm. he? And What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That uh, So all of that mm. is part of her story when we meet her. And so the fact that, that God is able to take away her shame, and this is what Jesus is going to do in his healing ministry for many people in mm. their life, that she who is barren is now in her sixth month because mm. nothing is impossible with God. This is how she was known. This is how she identified, was identified by others, most likely identified herself, and then God brings about this complete and astounding reversal. reversal. Mm. So this is the woman who then says, how does this even happen to me? That Elizabeth would be put into a position that her life could mean so much. Mm. And so she simply asks an incredibly honest question, who am I? Mm. You know, who am I that all this goodness, that th this great thing should happen in and through me? I, you know, I, I often think about it this way. The clearer conversation would be uh, more like, here's why it shouldn't happen right. to Elizabeth. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> or this is why it shouldn't happen to Zachariah mm -hmm. or Mary. There's m many more ways of, so if, if we kind of like 
boil her question down to why me? I that's where I believe you and I now have some entry mm-hmm. into all right, mm-hmm. what does this say about our own advent journey, our own spiritual journey? That question of why me? And she she may have sensed that she wasn't worthy to some extent because all the years that she had been barren, mm-hmm. she might have been complaining about it to God, you well, know? And it might have felt somewhat guilty that, oh, now, now he blesses me, and now I'm looking back and saying, I'm really not worthy of this, even though I was always complaining about why me? Right, where, you know, based on where I've come from, um, my previous relationship with God, given the circumstances of my life, um, is God able really to do something for me? Because I can mm. recall quite a few, you know, I'm sure— I'm sure some of the Psalms were favorite prayers of a person like mm-hmm. Elizabeth, where there's a lot of complaining to yes. God and God, you have abandoned me and mm-hmm. you, my enemies are around me, you know, constantly mm-hmm. the wagging tongues I've been of rejected the, and uh, uh, feeling rejected and, and self doubt and regrets. And so all of that sort of comes to, I think comes to fruition. So, I, I mean, I think in many ways, when I first look at Elizabeth's question, how is it that something good even comes to me? maybe reduced to the why me question. I think, you know, in our own lives, um, that's a common question. Sure I mean, is. it's a potent sure. question. It's, yeah. a, it's a refrain type question that mm-hmm. occurs at many times uh, along the path of our lives. It's a question that gets asked a whole lot uh, in people's lives, whether a person of faith or, or, or no faith. But when we usually ask that question, uh, it's usually asked in a kind of from a negative perspective. Yes. You know, something mm-hmm. happens to us and it's why, why me? me? Um, I'm sure yesterday, uh, when, uh, father Michael was here <laughs> doing it, trying to do his thing on your show and you know, the, de- the demons were the in the wiring, you know, getting into the involved. wiring. It's like, why me? I get right. one visit to our, you know, to this part of the world. I get yep. one shot on spreading mm-hmm. the word of God on the radio and somehow the demons are entering into the wiring <laughs> of, of the station. So we, we usually ask that, you know, whether it's an illness or, and sometimes we even ask it negatively because of what we were just talking about, Elizabeth. When something mm-hmm. good happens to, it's like, mm-hmm. why me? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't deserve this. That you know, mm-hmm. the, the gal who makes the nine first Fridays, she clearly deserves you know the good thing. Or the person that you know, gosh, they go to the soup kitchen every week, or they do the tutoring, and here I am. You know, all I'm doing is just raising three teenagers. So mm-hmm. why why me? And I'm thinking like. Raising three teenagers is a lot more work than going to the soup mm-hmm. kitchen, I can tell you that. Um, so that we often, because it grows out of our own, sometimes our self-doubts, uh, the harsh judgments that we either people are making on us or we make of ourselves. And I think all of us, like Elizabeth, I think what she teaches is, you know, all of us in our life, we all carry th- these kind of questions in our heart. You know, we look back and things in our life and we think, oh, my gosh, how could I have ever done that? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people around us who keep reminding us, even though we've come a long way in the last 30 years from something, and but they're still identifying us by that mm-hmm. that one sort of thing. I think the question for, for a healthy life, healthy spiritual life, is do I allow those things mm-hmm. to dominate my life? So here's Elizabeth who, who asked this question not in a negative way. She asked it in a kind of a way of, of wonderment. Mm-hmm. Um, that God is even willing to come to me. Um, in, in my parish, uh, we do a, a monthly uh, book club. 
And last month, we read a really uh, powerful book. Uh, it was a Pulitzer Prize, near Pulitzer Prize winner, bestseller on the uh, New York Times uh, books. It was by a, a guy by the name of Dr. Paul Kalanithi, and it was called When Breath Becomes Air. And it's a story, his own story, about he was an incredibly talented, uh, n uh, noted brain surgeon who at the age of originally 38 years old is diagnosed with stage four cancer mm. and eventually dies. And it's the memoir of his life. Very sad, but, but mm -hmm. potent. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, early on in the book, when he gets the diagnosis, like so many people normally, he said, I asked the question like everybody else, why, why me? me? Why me? And then he, asks, he says to himself, you know, but then I began to say, why not me? Mm -hmm. and, and there's a, we don't have time to discuss that sure. that issue, but sure. but it it's when I was reflecting on Elizabeth's question is there is that sort of truth to the matter, and I think Elizabeth eventually is coming around because she has these other witnesses around her. Is mm -hmm. okay. Well, why not me? Let me see what 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 is God is going to do, and I think that's the challenge for for us too. And I think the evidence of that, Father, also to put a more positive spin on it is notice how she greets the Blessed Mother. You know, it appears that she's greeting her with great joy, but also it appears that she also has great faith. Yeah, both of those things coming together, um, great joy, uh, great faith, and, and you, you kind of wonder in the story, she exclaims in a loud voice, but it's, it's the, you know, the, the child who will become the Baptist literally in physically inside of her something is happening mm -hmm. this child in utero is mm -hmm. reacting to the presence mm -hmm. of of mary mm -hmm. and is you know maybe telling elizabeth hey there's something that's it great. exactly you know there's something almost great. as if he's speaking through her in a sense exactly it's it's you know so so here's another means of something happening to elizabeth that in case she had any doubts or she was still wondering about, oh my gosh, what is all of this going on? The baby in my womb is leaping for joy. Hmm. And I think, so then we see this, this sort of great act of joy and faith on Elizabeth's part. And I, and I look at that and I think to myself, you know, when are the times that God is using something in, even inside of me, mm -hmm. but I'm not really paying any attention to it? Mm -hmm. You know, I think so often, and this is what I love about this, this very literal, physical image of Elizabeth is I think sometimes as people of faith, we're looking for the signs, affirmations, uh, confirmation, how do we find the way from outside of us? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I want to go to the mission at St. John, and I want to hear a word coming from outside of me. Um, I want God to put something up on the Eucharistic table that I see. Mm -hmm. I want to... Uh, a scripture passage to float down from the heavens, and, and we need that sometimes. But also the way God works is God is doing things inside, inside our own us. heart and mm -hmm. soul and spirit, but we're either kind of negating them or we're not in tune enough with mm -hmm. what's happening or we're mm -hmm. distrusting. Yeah, we don't we believe that that's the way God works. We think it has to come externally. And, and I think that's, that's sometimes a... I don't know, in my own spiritual journey, but also in being a pastoral minister to other people is, I don't know where it quite comes from, but there's a, there's a 
there's an element within Christianity, certainly an element within Catholicism that says, if it's coming from inside of you, distrust it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. only coming from your ego. It's coming mm-hmm. from sinfulness. It's coming from... But but this is not the biblical pattern of, no. of God re- making revelation. Yes, mm-hmm. God reveals outside, mm-hmm. but God also reveals in the stirrings of people's hearts, and that's mm-hmm. why discernment and all those things are important. So here's Elizabeth, who in case she had any doubts, you know, John the Baptist is uh, doing, you know, flips inside of her saying, hey, mom, mm-hmm. God is using you. Right. You know, I, I just, you know, I'm hearing you ask this question, but then the, I'm leaping because there is something great here that's happening. So to me, it also underlines not immediately dismissing a movement of our own heart that we somehow feel is, is that, is really God saying, in other words, what we need to do is what these people in the scriptures are doing is we got to run with it. Don't dismiss yeah. it. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I'm not smart enough. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I was looking at the word of God and I feel in my heart, God is saying this to me, but oh, who am I to interpret right. scripture? I have to leave that. That's to, right. I have to check that out with Bill when I go to Bible study next <laughs> week because he, he's the interpreter of scripture. And then Bill says, no, I can't do that because, you know, we have to go to so-and-so is no, the word of God is. So I think there's something beautiful and, about And the biblical Elizabeth. authors are just a great example of that. I mean, I, I'm quite sure that a lot of the biblical authors didn't even realize, you know, perhaps that God was, I think Paul says something in Corinthians where he thinks he's kind of on his own, but it's actually preserved in scripture, right? You know, (laughs) so, you know, so it's an amazing thing. And Father, you've always talked about, you know, I mean, growing spiritually is kind of waking up Mm. and then recognizing God's presence in all things, right? you know, even in us. And that's why these, these, the church not only the gospel writers, but then the church presents these various characters to us. You know, we're hearing quite a bit from Isaiah. Uh, we heard from Baruch on Sunday, kind of mm-hmm. his one flash in the pan. He yeah. gets in yeah, the whole three or cycle. We don't hear of it on like, him a whole that? lot. Uh, Who's that, Baruch? Uh, you know, is that something from Harry Potter? Did we slip something <laughs> secular into the Baruch? He's what just is, a secretary to that, Jeremiah. You know? that's I mean, all. for heaven's sake. He's just a secretary. <laughs> so we're, we're getting all of these people, and every one of them is giving us another example of alertness, mm. uh, awakenness mm-hmm. to... Um, to turn our attention from one direction to another so that we can see this God working. And and it's not just an unfolding of the story of the birth of Christ chronologically. Well, of course, other things. Because remember, it's not the necessary way of bringing about the presence of Christ because John abandons all of this whole business. And here, you know, well, first of all, his infancy narrative is in the very beginning of create, beyond the beginning of creation even. Um, But then all of a sudden, boom, Jesus is on the scene. He's grown up. Mm-hmm. You know, the diapers, the weaning, all of that's right. gone by the wayside. And there is. So you can tell the story without mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. things. But the story is told with these things because if you're going to even become aware of the light has entered the world, mm-hmm. that God has become flesh and is pitching a tent among us, mm-hmm. you got to do some work. And really, that. F- with the Lord, <laughs> age is never a factor, Father. You know, so you have this maybe 13-year-old girl, and then you have this, what we would consider a middle-aged woman. It's not too late. 
you know, to have this revelation or this reversal of fortune, whatever the case may be. And I'm afraid that a, a lot of Christian people, they think that, well, you know, I might become more familiar with God. I, I'm more worried about God because I'm getting closer to my own demise. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. But in reality, God can do great things with us even as we find ourselves much older. Yeah, I would latch on to the, the phrase you used there, it's never too late. And I, <clears throat> I think that has broad meaning. In other words, in the chronological span of things, it's never too late. Um, you know, so as I like to remind, especially in a parish with a, a more elderly population, is don't be giving me that, well, I'm retired now. Right. I said, yeah. well, lucky for you, because actually that means you're more available. That's it, exactly. So, don't, don't, you, know, don't, you know, or, well, you know, Father, I'm, you know, I've done all this stuff, and I'm 85 now. I mean, yeah. what, what? I've what, done my duty. You know, so let, let me, let me, let me. Let me live the Ecclesiastes of there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Vanity well, of vanities. <laughs> you know, God has always so, but it's not also, it's never too late, not only chronologically, but I think that principle is always at work. This is how God works. It's never too late. Mm. Oh, Father, but I, you know, I haven't been to reconciliation in 30 years. All right, you know what? I've met people in the last couple of weeks in penance services. Today's the day is usually mm-hmm. what I say to them. Yeah. It's like a big smile on my face. Today mm-hmm. is the day. Mm-hmm. We're not going to recant that it's been 30 years, and we're not going to bemoan all that. You know what? Today's the day. Mm-hmm. When you're working mm-hmm. with people in uh, right of Christian initiation for adults, you know, why today and not yesterday? Why this year and not 10 years ago? Today is the day. It doesn't it's, matter. It's, it's never too late. This is the life I've been living. These are the poor choices I've been making. It's with God. It's never too late. So it's not only a, a chronological question, and I think the answer that God is always giving back to us we see mirrored in Elizabeth. So at whatever point of our life we're saying, well, why me or who am I or uh, even a person like me? And God is resoundingly mm. coming back and saying, mm. precisely because you are you. And sometimes, Father, wouldn't you agree that perhaps mm. what we miss sometimes in this passage? is the real service that Elizabeth does for Mary in the sense that Mary is coming to assist her, but Elizabeth in some real way is going to be like an older sister to her in a sense to help her kind of make sense of what she's, what she's really trying to process. And I, I, I really believe this is one of the most powerful pieces of this encounter between these women that, again, we sometimes... Uh, in deference to the Blessed Mother, we want to make it all about Mary mm-hmm. being, at, you know, so she's living out, I am the handmaid of the Lord, and right. I'm going to go be the handmaid of Elizabeth. And, and again, all of that is true, and that's mm-hmm. beautiful, but there's mm-hmm. something more powerful happening mm-hmm. in here. She is in an unbelievably unique experience, and so who might she turn to? She's going to turn to a woman of grace, mm-hmm. a woman of wisdom, uh, a woman who also has something unusual. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times in our lives that if we're lucky enough, we go through things that not a lot of people can help us with mm. or not a lot of people are mm. in the same place we are. And if we're fortunate enough to find someone who can connect with our story, mm-hmm. because here's the other thing we forget. So we talked about Elizabeth being a woman having lived in shame. Mary is running away from the potential 
for I tremendous, was just going to say, there's a lot of skepticism shame. surrounding her situation. Yeah, as I, as I like to point out, and I've done so quite a f- few times in the last couple of days based on the scriptures, is, you know, Gabriel didn't come to the town square of Nazareth and say, oh, by right. the way, folks, <laughs> something really marvelous has happened to this gal named Mary. That's right. Um, so no gossip. I don't want you to get the wrong no, impression don't get the here. wrong impression. Uh, don't, don't start any gossip. No, she's the one who has to bear the story mm, herself. So mm. here are these, you know, on both ends of the age spectrum, these two women coming together to help each other. Yeah. And Elizabeth is truly going to help Mary as much as, and perhaps I'll, I'll say, more than Mary is going to be able to do for her mm-hmm. because Elizabeth is going to not only share her own unique experience of, of pregnancy, but her wisdom, her life of faith, mm. uh, all of these things are there. And so Mary is going to draw from Elizabeth in this period of time that they have together how to strengthen her own relationship with God, how to truly tend the child in her mm-hmm. own. So she's helping tend the child in the womb of this older woman. But Elizabeth is, remember, Mary is pregnant already. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth is going to tend the child in her womb in a variety of different uh, kinds of ways. And so I think the question for us is, can I still feel in my own faith journey a sense of wonder that even God, that God is even going to use mm-hmm. each of us mm-hmm. for God's purposes, mm-hmm. no matter what our story is, no matter what regrets we have, the shame that we have in our own life, the, the, the experiences of I feel insufficient in this moment, oh, my past failures, how, how could God overcome those? I, I, I'm not good enough. In other words, all those kinds of things that we probably do feel can we give those over to the Lord in these Advent days? We, we all kind of sense that we have some insignificance mm-hmm. when you consider God is doing a work here, a marvelous work. In this case, of course, it's the birth of the Son of God himself. And yet you have Elizabeth, who perhaps up to this point considers herself to be insignificant. Now she's participating in this, right. which will... Uh, eventuate in the salvation of the world. Right. I you mean, know, that's a that's a powerful yeah, message it's, it's, for us. I mean, us. it's incredible. And so here we literally have a woman who, at a, most of her life and up until a certain point of her life, is quite frankly unequipped mm-hmm. to do the work of the Lord. Mm-hmm. She becomes equipped by God, mm-hmm. and and God can do the same things for us. You know, Paul has that wonderful expression in the, in uh, his letters about equipping the saints yes. for ministry. Mm. And, and God equips the saints for ministry, but also I think that's what you and I are called to mm-hmm. do. How are we in our own lives equipping each other for the work that God wants to do with us, through us, and not be people who are kind of shouting them down? I mean, even as something as practical and as, uh, in some of our own parish ministries— Somebody like, oh, I think I, I think I'm called to do. Oh, well, you can't. Don't bro. if so and so comes to you, Father. Don't mm-hmm. take them on because this story <laughs> or that story or oh, they do this or they do that. And um, oh, you're 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 too young to do that, or mm-hmm. you know, you're too old to do that, or yeah. everything else in between. Or oh, well, you know, those people have been through some experiences. You know, they are divorced. And, yeah, uh, you might want to steer away. You might want, yeah. So, so that God is the one who then equips. Mm-hmm people for God's work and God, you know, can, is not can, is doing, um, the same kind of things for us. So, uh, one of the things that I had been thinking about, you know, when we 
see, is it possible that God is going to avail me? And it came to me because I've been, you know, sharing in some experience of the sacrament of penance and reconciliation in these Advent penance services in various parishes. And so I was sitting there last week and was listening to the examination of conscience that was going on. And it, it was a good one. There was mm-hmm. a lot of really uh, meaty, really potent things going on there. And, and of course, this is a penance service. I'm going to be confessing sin. But it struck me that, okay, this is good and it's important, but it's examining all the bad stuff. Right. And it's putting me in a position of, oh, yeah, I'm bad at that. Oh, yeah, I'm bad at that. Mm-hmm. But one of the beautiful things about the Ignatian examine is that, yeah, Ignatius wants you to do some of that work. Mm-hmm. But the first question of the nightly Ignatian examine is, where have I seen God at work today? Yeah. And so part of what I see in Advent, and I would encourage our listeners to, you know, yes, celebrate the sacrament. It's a beautiful thing. Do a good examination of conscience. But how about an examination of conscience that tells me, here's where I see God bringing goodness. Mm-hmm. Here's where I see God bringing favor, blessedness, anointing. These are the gifts that God is, as Ephesians says, lavishing mm-hmm. uh, on me. Let's examine our life to prepare for Christmas with that spirit. And I think that's eventually what Elizabeth comes to, mm-hmm. is she sees the goodness, the blessing of God, and she's enumerating it, calling it out. And at that moment is when she is fully able to become a tool for and the Lord's and work. the scripture doesn't really reflect on the aftermath you know because she we assume was able to she obviously gave birth to john the baptist but she must have seen down the road how this unfolded from there so from that point on her whole life has completely changed and she also will continue to enjoy really a reap the benefit of everything that has happened that has been shared in Luke chapter 1, and really, I'm sure, will serve to glorify God. Right. Like so many people, she appears on the scene, we take something, we learn something from her, and then she drifts back Respect. into the woodwork. Mm. But her story goes on. Yes. And and so does our story, too, that the, the, the manifestation of God's work continues to blossom and bloom in our life as well. And so there's plenty of Advent season left. It's not too late to get on board and see what God is doing with each of us in the remaining days of the season. Elizabeth is just a beautiful example for all of us that we are all significant in God's sight. And no matter where your position in life, no matter what your situation is, even this day, God has something for you and you do matter to him. And you do matter in real significant ways and so if you find yourself in a situation or for someone you care about today and you're saying why me listen remember what dr paul kalanithi said why not you why not that's what god is saying why not Mm. you i want you Mm. you have something to bring to a situation a person that nobody else can bring and that's why i'm that's why i'm touching your life today father ben next week uh, we're looking at the last question in luke chapter one and that's the question of the people exactly we're going to take a little spin in our final week and the question is not going to come from an individual it's going to come from a group of people who certainly represent who we are so 
lot of great fun next week to come too, Bill. Really enjoyed this, Father Ben. Can you leave us with a quick blessing? Lord, we thank you for this Advent journey. We thank you for the people in your word who come to life for us. And we ask that you continue to bless the footsteps we make, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Treasures of Faith on Divine Mercy Radio. 